Happy Sunday, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Sunday Social. I'm Kelly J. Lewis, and with me, as always, is Thomas Ware III. Today, our guest is Dr. Alex Kangas from USAO. He's a professor of economics, and I have some very direct questions. So let's get right to it. I We, we talk a lot on Them Damn Indians about um, how people conflate the terms communism, socialism, different things like that. So just from the basic definition, let's talk first about communism. Just what is it? Well, thanks for having me on, Kelly. Um, I think, first of all, we should probably define capitalism, just so that everyone has an understanding of, of what capitalism is, and then I think that'll probably be a good starting point for us. Capitalism as an economic system uh, began in the 1700s, really, and, and really took shape in the 1800s. And it has three core principles if we're defining capitalism. Capitalism, uh, first of all, um, is all of, needs to have wage labor as a commodity. Labor has to be a commodity. Pr prior to capitalism, labor itself wasn't something that was bought and sold in a marketplace. That was just something that labor itself was a really heavily protected, um, almost a sacred act. But only under capitalism does labor become a commodity. The second major feature of capitalism is that um, the production of goods takes place for the specific purpose of selling them. If you think about different economic systems before capitalism, and we can, we can go through some of the features of those as well, but if you think about the, the, the economic systems before, when you produce something, you produced it for your own use or for your immediate family's use. But only under capitalism does production of goods and services um, take on the character as being only for exchanging them, for that express purpose of exchanging goods and services. So it's like the corn farmer that starves and doesn't eat corn. Well, I mean, the corn farmer is producing strictly for um, exchanging the good, right? Whereas under previous economic systems, it was all about survival and subsistence and things like that. You know, that's a really interesting point because I don't think people really understand the concept of labor and work as a commodity to be bought and sold. You know, I, I think that's a really interesting point to, you know, just, I guess, worker bees, you know, uh, and, and that's that's one of the reasons why, why we wanted to invite you here today is just to kind of really get those definitions for, for us to understand and, and help our listeners understand just where where like this system that we are in i mean we we are all like cogs in this this system and so i want us to understand the the, the different levels and and why we conflate these terms so okay so so we know that labor is a commodity and we know that goods have to be um are produced for exchange so what is the third uh point of capitalism the third point is uh the reinvestment of uh, what we call a surplus product or the extra amount that's been produced that we don't aren't using to, f to feed ourselves and we're not using to replace the machines that have worn out or the tools and things like that. So you reinvest this extra amount back into the production process and you expand um, what can be produced. We call this the endless accumulation of capital, right? So the whole system is based on production for profit and you reinvest that process, that profit back in, back into the production process. 
So that's sort of the third major characteristic of capitalism. Okay, so so now that we have defined that, how does that fit into the other definitions? So socialism, um, it's a very sort of misunderstood term. Socialism isn't necessarily about government ownership of anything. The government, I mean, the government isn't going to take anything from you. Socialism is all about democratic control over the production process. So people who work in the business, who work in the factory, they're the ones that get to decide what happens to this extra profit that accrues. Under capitalism, it's really... Um, structured as though it's an autocracy where you have one person on top who's a boss and everyone underneath that person sort of does what they say. They work when that person says, they do the task exactly how that person says it. And because they don't actually own the tools in the factory itself, the profit that, acc that accrues goes to that one person. So what socialism is, on the other hand, is democratic control over this process. So it's people who decide and people um, who get the profit from from the work that they're doing. So, is would it be fair to say that that it that they it it's a it would be like a a fair distribution like every like every worker you know everybody would you know everybody wants to has that self interest at some point, but it would seem like it would be a fair way for the workers to decide, okay, everybody, it, it seems like it would be a more equal distribution of the of profits and of resources and things like that. Well, it would be a democratic control over that process. So however, the, the people who work in the firm, they have, they have a part ownership in that firm. And however, it's decided that that profit is going to be distributed. They at least get a say in it. They get a say in it. Exactly right. Um, now, people often critique this by saying, well, with so many voices, you know, trying to trying to say what's going on, then uh, nothing will get done or it will be inefficient, it will be wasteful and things like that. But, you know, if we really think about it, we structure our, our political system as a democracy and you very rarely hear people complaining about how inefficient it is, right? So on the one hand, you have people complaining that says, well, if you have so many people trying to give their input then it'll be inefficient. But we structure our political system as a democracy, and yet we structure our workplaces where we spend a vast majority of our non-sleeping time, our wake time, uh, we spend a, a vast majority of our time in something that's run almost like an autocracy where there's one person who rules. So socialism, um, you know, going back to, to the popular misconception, it's not about the government necessarily owning anything. I think that misconception comes from the fact that when socialism has been tried in the past, it did it did devolve into a bit of authoritarianism, where the where you had one person on top who would tell um, the factories and the rest of the government um, what to do, and it didn't turn out all that well. So that's I think the where the popular misconception comes from. I think also. Um, the word itself is used almost in a pejorative sense. I think that um, when someone wants to label an idea as extreme, you call it socialist because then you lump it in with a category of what people see as extreme. And it's more easy for someone to dismiss it once you've put it into that box. Even though you might not understand it, you put it into this box and it's much easier for people to dismiss. Well, and but see, here's the thing is, you know, we were talking about the history of it and everything, but that's how that's how humans have been, though. I mean, like back in back in, you know, 
the early history and especially with tribes i mean especially with tribes there was a very there was you know it, it wasn't you know yeah there were better hunters and yeah there there was a hierarchy there but it was for the good of everybody you know when they moved they moved as a group they it's almost they, like a herd a herd mentality yeah where, and you know you're doing and the way it was always explained to me was like with indians the best whoever it was that killed the buffalo would get their pick of the best meat and that kind of thing but everybody else would get to get a piece of it too everyone else was still taken care of yeah it wasn't hey i killed this buffalo i don't know what y'all's eating tonight but i'm eating good <laughs> you know what but i mean I got buffalo. <laughs> and that's what that's what like that's what capitalism feels like to me it's yeah i mean like, absolutely right it's it's all about who controls the surplus i mean so even in really primitive societies um you had to produce at least enough to survive and replace your tools. So once people started getting better at farming, at hunting with better tools and so on and so forth, different agricultural technologies um, like the storage of grain or the uh, domestication of animals and things like that, only until that started happening did you see not only were, were um, communities able to produce what they needed to survive, but they were able to produce that little bit extra. So that that surplus product. And once that surplus was produced, then you started to see um, divisions among classes, people exercising different levels of power over other people to actually try and get or gain control over this surplus. And that's really what it's about is who controls the surplus product because under capitalism, it is um, the capitalists, the one person or, or group or handful of people who get to control this surplus. Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas under socialism, it is um, the people decide. The people decide who gets to control the surplus product. Okay, so let's move um, from there to uh, communism. So how is so? Let, let's let's just at its basic, just definition, like <clears throat> that's what it says. That's what it is, kind of thing. The basic definition is a classless, moneyless. Um, society without a government where people are working for the collective good and if you need something you get something if you have a special skill that's what you do but it's at its basic level it is a uh, stateless classless moneyless society how okay <laughs> this is why it's difficult for people this is why it's difficult for people to understand because you have to take yourself sort of we live in a capitalist society Right, so that's what we understand. We understand the different relationships between people, <clears throat> but moving outside of that that mindset is 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 real is difficult for people. What if you've never been out of Caddo County? Because I know, I mean, like, there's <laughs> we see, know people who have yeah. never been out of Caddo County. Well, you know? we both we we both have a background, and we were lucky enough that we were able to travel um, at a young age and yeah. see other. You know, other states, and I was able to go to to Germany and see, like, a, a whole different, basically, society, you know. And um, it was just a lot of kids that I grew up with that thinking anywhere outside the box is really hard for them to take themselves out of just what they know. And so is that kind of is that kind of the same thing like what you what you're talking about here? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's difficult for people to understand something that they've never experienced before, especially when the the economic system that we live in is so prevalent. I mean, it's everywhere around us. It I mean, even some take something as simple as 
working for a wage or labor as a commodity, which is one of the, the things for capitalism. That's just something we expect. That's something that's really the only thing we know. Yeah, that's um, that's so, very true. So to be able to step outside of that mindset and view work or labor not as a means to something else. So not you don't labor as a means to survive. Instead, work itself, and this is one of the essential features of communism as well, work itself is the end. Because work itself is an essential, fundamental human activity. It's something that defines us as people. You just work till you die. Under capitalism, you do, absolutely. But under communism, work is fulfilling. It is what you do because it makes you human. That's and and you know and I I I get that I asked the question but but I'm having issues just kind of <laughs> getting getting outside of that oh, you yeah. know and 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 as an employer as someone who owns my own company oh my god am I a capitalist yeah you are <laughs> if you employ wage labor that yeah. you do fall within the definition of capitalist <laughs> yes see. <laughs> You just broke my heart. Um, <laughs> I, I have become that. No, but but seriously, you know, when when just in the hiring process that we are in right now, um, it's it's very. On one hand, we have people who overvalue their skills. <laughs> what tribe are you talking about? I, I I will take the fifth on that, sir. But uh, and, and then you have you, then you have people who have great skills but undervalue themselves. And so, as an employer, you have to you have to really be uh, to me me. I want to be fair. I want to pay somebody uh, what they're worth, and you know, make sure that they have a livable <laughs> wage. I actually have my company has a minimum wage that is higher than the federal minimum wage because that's the way I want it. Now, um, but, but so how does, I'm still trying to wrap my head around a moneyless system. How does that, how does that happen? How does, how does, how does communism come into be? I mean, how does, how does that even. If there is money involved, then that means that the government controls the money, right? Exactly. Whatever money comes in or There's no, there's no government. That's, I mean, that's another reason why it's sort of difficult to, that's, so the, the one question is, what is it? What is communism? What is socialism? The next question is, even if a majority of people want that, how do you go from this, from here to there? How do you get there? And I think that is a question that's been debated for the last 150 years, and we really don't know. I mean, some theorists said that socialism would emerge naturally out of capitalism, so capitalism is a very dynamic, changeful, creative system. Technological development, progress, and so on and so forth. But eventually there's going to come a time when we don't need to increase our productive capacity, right? We'll have enough. We'll have enough stuff around, enough food, enough clothing, all of these things. We'll just have enough of it. We don't need anymore. But do people like Bill Gates have the ability to just turn that off? Well, see, that's the thing. I mean, when, like, when is that point? <laughs> there's like they've obviously they haven't reached that point yet, and these there's these like twelve people in the world that control I don't know two per, like what I mean ninety percent of the money or whatever. I mean, Me- meanwhile, they're, South, they're South, South Africa's running out of water. They obviously have not hit that point yet. That's absolutely true. But we're ta- what we're talking about is not. Uh, the concentration of wealth in a few hands, because that's what we have now. We have vast concentrations of wealth 
in just a few hands. What we're talking about is the productive capacity where, it, where it's feasible that we could make everyone well enough off in society um, that we didn't nece necessarily have to keep accumulating surplus and accumulating wealth. And so the idea behind socialism is, is once the, the productive forces of society reach a particular point, then we can start to share all of this much more broadly, share the, the surplus, share the wealth with everyone else. And, and again, that is, that is just completely foreign just to what we know. And I mean, even if we're just talking something as, as a necessity as public schools, you know, I mean, education, and and you well know. I mean, being being a being a, being a professor at a at a state college. I mean, our education. We do not value. We don't. We don't value our education like like we should. And and it shows because we oh, don't yeah. dedicate the resources to it. You can go to any any like Facebook post from any of these channels in Oklahoma City. And read the comments and tell that we don't care about education very well. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, when the we, we show, <laughs> I'm telling you, no. That's the best news in yeah, Oklahoma. I see headlines almost daily that make me think I'm reading The Onion. And it'll just be like a regular news channel. Like, oh. th this stuff is so bizarre. I never thought we'd be at this point where there's somebody making W look like a smarter president. Oh God! You know, and that talk about just breaking my heart all all over today. Yeah, but 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 that's <laughs> but but see that's but that lack of education and that lack of priority. That's that's why we're having this conversation right here because I mean you see it all over Oklahoma news. You're a communist. Well, you're a socialist, and we don't like Bernie Sanders because he's a democratic socialist. Like you don't even know what that means, you know. And so it's the word association. That's that's what gets me. I mean, like I guess. I guess this is something that's been done on purpose. They want you to think whenever you hear socialism, you're supposed to connect it with communism. It's like the way that I always talk about it, the way you the way that people now whenever you hear Muslim, they think of terrorists. You know, and and it's a it's it's crazy to me. Young. So how so how did we get to a point where these where we just conflate these terms? Well, I think part of it is a is a political strategy to mar like we like we were talking about, like you said, to marginalize um, whomever it is that 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 term is being applied to, right? Because in the United States, there's there's a long history of sort of anti-communist sentiment, anti-socialist sentiment, particularly in the '40s, '50s, and so on and so forth. Um, How much does the USSR have to do with that? Well, I mean that's that's a big part of it because they were a, a an authoritarian socialist country. They weren't communist, clearly by our definition uh, that we just gave, but they were a, an authoritarian socialist country. Now, they had the idea of, uh, so this comes back to our, our transition. How do you go from here to there? Their idea was you have this political party, uh, this group of intellectuals that takes over the machinery of government, um, sets up a socialist society, and then gives power back to the people. Now, I'm no expert on sort of the early history of the USSR, but from my understanding, that power was never given back, especially, <laughs> especially after Stalin took over and became sort of an authoritarian, uh, authoritarian dictator. So, so every, the, whole, the whole plan went good up until that point, right? <laughs> when it was time to give it back. Yeah, and so... That's usually where it's foiled. Right. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Get to you. <laughs> so I think that you know part of it is is trying to marginalize or push to the the extremes anyone that you you're using that you're calling them right. If someone calls you a socialist. Or if someone calls you a communist, certainly you know that they they don't know what they're talking about because communism is this really ill-defined, difficult to think about word, right? That that no society, uh, at least in modern history, has ever approached whatsoever. I mean, we can think about like primitive cultures and things like that. Maybe they were much closer to being communists than we are. Now, socialist socialism, on the other hand, um, you know, there are socialists out there. There are you know, like you mentioned, democratic socialists. Um, libertarian socialists like Noam Chomsky uh, and these these kind of people. There are there are socialists out there, but I think the term itself gets too indiscriminately applied. It's just sort of thrown out there as a blanket statement that says, "Hey, you must be some sort of radical. I'm not going to accept or even think about your ideas because I don't want to engage with them." Now, see, and this is something that we've gotten into quite a few times, but I talk about it all the time, how it seems like what what we're going through right now with our government as a, as a byproduct of being a bipartisan government is that everybody looks at every situation as black and white. It's either this or it's that. You know, it's like... I always use the the example of guns. Either everybody should have an AR-15 from the time they turn 16 until they die, or else nobody should have guns at all. Like, it's one one side or the other. If you don't agree with me here, then, then you must want to take everybody's guns away. And there's so much gray area in between. It's the same with, with immigration. Nobody's for open borders. Like, nobody wants to just let everybody in, just free for all, just run in. No. That's not what anybody wants. But at the same time, locking off just one side of the border because the brown people come from that side is ridiculous. Like, we we you have know, bigger border issues with Canada and the missing yeah. and murdered indigenous women that that go missing on a daily basis yeah. and then the in large numbers. But, and but the whole point towns, is that there's and, there's know. gray area there. In in all these things. And and there's these people that want to make it so black and white. You're either, you know, all the way on this side, like Donald Trump, or else you're completely so far out to the left, like it's, you know, free money for everybody and everybody gets everything for free and nobody has to work anymore. Like there's there's so much gray area in the middle. And I think there's so many people that are that are feeling more and more towards that gray area, whether they're Democrat or Republican, whether they feel like they're conservative or liberal. I think that there's so many more people towards that gray area that just kind of don't want to admit it. And as an independent voter myself, I love it. <laughs> well, and, <laughs> hey, I, hey, I'm a tree-hugging hippie liberal, but I own guns and I support capital punishment. So I'm complicated like that. Yeah. And, but there are a lot of people. There are a lot of people out there. So that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. You're like the PETA member that like steak. <laughs> I, I'll eat the hell out of some steak now. I will. I will do that. But um, but I'm not eating like poor domesticated animals that I know of anyway. So. And you're a capitalist, remember? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, and man. you're a capitalist. <laughs> I feel personally attacked. But I, I, I see a shirt in your future. <laughs> that just says capitalist? Yeah, just with a period. <laughs> you're hurting my feelings. Just okay, black, so. With white writing. That's really mean. Uh, actually, it would be red. 
Okay. It would have to be red. Okay, <laughs> so just let's just get that out there right now. Uh, so so let's let's really get back to um, so this the communist the 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 negative connotation with communism really kind of came from like the Cold War era. Is that what we're because because of all of the the issues. And the arms race back then, I guess. And, and it's interesting. Cuba. It's interesting to hear you say that communism has never really existed. And so, so back in the whatever, whenever that was, whenever America was fighting the communists, um, what was that? What was that rhetoric? I mean, what was that? I mean, who? Where did that start at? When? When did people start using the word communist like it was something that's actually existed? Well, I mean, radicalism as a sort of political perspective or as a political philosophy really started in the 1800s. And there were some big radical movements in Europe in the late 1840s and, and so on and so forth. And so the radical movement uh, really started coming on strong. And then you had a, the publication in uh, around that time of the Communist Manifesto. But if you read the Communist Manifesto, it almost, it's, it's more of a manifesto for socialism as opposed to communism. Because communism is is not really all that well defined. I think uh, the best example of it is in uh, a work written by Karl Marx called the Economic and Philosophic Manuscripts of 1844, uh, where he has a chapter called Estranged Labor. And in that, I think he provides, in that one particular chapter of this one particular book, is where he talked most extensively about what a communist society would look like. But it's only in that one small that one small piece. And so even someone who's so closely associated with communism as Karl Marx is, he actually wrote very, very little about it. And what they were really talking about was more of the transition from capitalism to socialism, as opposed to thinking about something that is going to be so far away and so difficult to actually think about. That is very interesting. So that that's just re that is really interesting to me that that it that it hasn't been so clearly defined yeah. and yet that's it's just some it's just this word that that people just boot around to for I guess for something that they don't like or that they don't agree with and now it's become like this marketing um, catchphrase and this <laughs> like these trigger words. It's a catch-all. Yeah, I mean, for any type of government spending or redistribution or increase in taxation, any of any of this those types of things is labeled as communist or socialist, and and people just conflate them because they don't really understand the the true definitions of of what it means because because what it is what they what it really boils down to is their economic systems, right? They're just they're just different ways that governments um, organize their their economy? Right. I mean, if you think about what an economic system must do, it must do three things. Uh, it must produce things. It must distribute things, allocate things to different people based on different mechanisms. And people also must consume things. So in every economic system, those three things must be addressed. Now, under capitalism, um, how is the first thing addressed? How is production addressed? What's well, production for profit? If something isn't profitable, it's not going to be produced. Okay. Um, allocation. Allocation or distribution is determined by um, do you own the factory or not? If you do, you get the surplus product or the profit. And if you don't own the factory, then you work for a wage. You work for an hourly wage or a yearly wage or, or something like that. And then consumption is, is strictly determined uh, in the marketplace. 
It's not about need per se. It's about do you have the ability to go out in the market and pay for something? That's how it's accomplished under capitalism. But this would look very different if we were under socialism, right? Production decisions wouldn't be made strictly for a profit motive. They'd be made for other motives. Maybe they're the employees, they want a work-life balance or they want to devote some of the company's resources to community projects and so on and so forth. Um, allocation, similarly, is going to be much different. Um, and then consumption is going to take place less in the marketplace and more... Uh, based on do you need something. Now, this doesn't mean that people aren't going to work and just get things for free, right? But if you're, you're not able to work or you're not able to do certain tasks, you're still going to need to be provided for. And those people who are able to provide um, will do so, but not in an unfairly burdensome way. Huh, very interesting indeed. Our guest today is Dr. Alex Kangas. He's an economics professor at USAO, and we wanted to ask him about the definition, the absolute definition, the actual definition of socialism and communism. Very interesting indeed. Dr. Kangas, I hope you come back on the show. We have more questions to ask and discuss because I really want to get your opinion on how work is changing and how work is um, defined under these different economic systems. So I do hope you come back. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget, if you miss any of our live episodes, do catch up with those on the podcast tab located on the Talk Jive homepage. I'm Kelly J. Lewis with Thomas Ware III and Dr. Alex Kangas. Be sure to join us back here every Sunday at noon for Sunday Social. Coming up, Ask a Lawyer is next. We're Indigenous, we're independent, and we are Talk Jive Radio. Have a great day.